Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick exploration of timely topics featuring University of Michigan experts sharing their insights with former journalists at Michigan News. Does this sound familiar? It's the call to the post, made by the bugler five to ten minutes before the scheduled start of a horse race. It could also be the sound that signals January as the unofficial start to the 2024 elections. Candidates are already campaigning, but now voters are paying closer attention with primaries and caucuses scheduled through the summer. I'm Jared Wadley, lead public relations representative at the University of Michigan. I'm talking to Vincent Hutchings, a political expert who is closely monitoring many election races. Welcome, Professor Hutchings. Before we get into the discussion, describe what this time of year means for you as a political scientist. Well, as a political scientist who studies American elections and public opinion, the run-up to the presidential election is, I guess, the equivalent of a sports fan in the run-up to the Super Bowl. And then since most of the attention will be on the presidential elections, um, let's start with the Republican Party. Going back to the defeat of former President Trump and later the insurrection by many in the party, how would you describe where the party is and what needs to happen to defeat President Biden? Well, the the Republican Party is in a peculiar place. I mean, there are really two issues. One is the issue about their election strategy, their prospects for victory in November of 2024. And the other is about where they stand uh, with respect to democracy. So I don't want to have this conversation without gloss. You know, 2024 is not going to be a normal presidential contest because the leading candidate for the election has essentially renounced the concept of democracy. And this is not me being critical of uh, conservative ideology or Republican platforms writ large, but I am absolutely calling attention to the fact that the Republican Party, or at least many of its uh, leaders, including the leading candidate for the presidential nomination, has seemingly renounced democracy, the principles of democracy, the norms of democracy. So I, I, I would be remiss if I discuss this issue, the perfectly reasonable question you put on the table about what are the prospects for the party, the Republican Party regaining the White House, without noting that the leading standard bearer for that uh, party uh, has, among other things, called journalists the enemies of the people, has uh, disrupted the peaceful transfer of power from uh, in, in 2021 with the inauguration of Joe Biden, has continued to falsely claim that his defeat in 2020 was somehow fraudulent. These are not normal times. So uh, in answer to your question, what is the status of the Republican Party? It is, uh, it, at least at its leadership level and among many of its supporters, it's actually quite uh, disturbing. So in reference to Trump uh, seeming to be the likely nominee, he is faced in a tricky situation in terms of his legal challenges. How do you think those legal situations will play out for Trump, and could it help him with voters who think he's getting a raw deal? Yeah, it seems unlikely that it will help him. There's certainly... Now, the extent to which he has been hurt is is surprisingly minimal. As we've seen, he's holding at least his own against the current occupant of the White House, President Biden. And in some polls, he's leading uh, President Biden. Um, but at this point, any 
uh, it seems to me that any portion of the broader electorate who is inclined to be drawn to the Trump candidacy because they think he's somehow being persecuted, that's that's probably already maxed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, if he is convicted, as seems likely in at least one of the four jurisdictions where he is uh, under felony charges, um, it can't but hurt him, if only at the margins. Now, somewhat related, uh, there are still other uh, Republican candidates who believe they would make a better choice to lead the party. But um, that doesn't seem likely. Who then would make for a good choice for a vice presidential pick and why? Well, in some respects, that's two questions. So the first is whether it seems likely that someone else will gain the nomination. And uh, certainly at this stage, that does not seem as if it is likely to happen, given the dominant status of the former president in the polls. However, we've never seen a situation like this before. I just made a brief allusion to the fact that the current president, excuse me, the former president, (laughs) is under indictment in four jurisdictions, including for espionage. Uh, If he, and at least one, if not two or more of those uh, uh, impending trials are likely to be concluded before the vote in November of of, uh, 2024, I mention all that just to say that it could. Sh- is it going to shake up the Republican primary process? Uh, it might. I I don't know because we've never had a president who uh, a presidential candidate or a former president who's faced this kind of situation. So, in answer to the first part of the question, what are the which is in part what are the likelihood of the other candidates gaining the nomination? It, in a normal year, it would be close to nil. But, of course, this is not a normal a normal year, a normal election season. That's maybe the theme of my comments uh, in this podcast. And so I don't know. Now, in answer to who would be a good vice presidential candidate, uh, in a way, so the traditional answer would be that the presidential nominee in whatever uh, party he or she represents should select a candidate for nomin- for vice president who could, quote, unquote, balance the ticket. Yeah who could draw in supporters, maybe speak to some of the perceived weaknesses of the candidate and draw in supporters in order to make for a bigger tent and hence a more successful general election strategy. But that's that seems to have all gone out the window now. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't treat the current election season as if it are, is a traditional election season. It clearly and unequivocally is not. And so it's not at all clear who should be... Uh, who should be the appropriate VP choice for the Republican ticket because the head of the ticket is behaving in ways unlike anything we've seen in the entire history of this country. Would there be any, I don't know if this has happened historically, where the party decides not to put a leading candidate at the top of the ticket? Could the party maybe put somebody else of their choice despite uh, Trump maybe winning in the primaries and caucuses. Has there ever been any situation similar to that, or would even the parties think it's too risky to have Trump lead the ticket? Why don't we put candidate X into that spot? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, again, the short answer is it's never happened, and uh, certainly not in the modern era, and maybe never. Um, of course, in the modern era, it's now routine for the primary voters to select the nominee. Uh, in previous eras, that was not the case. Uh, going, you know, the modern primary system begins in the 1970s. Uh, so the notion that voters could 
indicate their preference in the primary, uh, in this case for the Republicans, and then that some Republican Party leaders could then decide to just ignore that decision and impose someone else, seems uh, extremely unlikely to me. Um, now, so what does that therefore mean? Uh, it, assuming Trump uh, continues to pursue the nomination, uh, he is likely to be the nominee. He's certainly going to be the preference, all indicators suggest at the moment. He is going to be the preference of the Republican primary voters. Now, let's also get into the um, Democratic Party. Back in 2020, when things fell into place that enabled uh, President Biden to win the elections, including a huge support by African-American voters, it, it really changed the outcome of the elections. So now we fast forward to 2024. Voter support might not be as strong based on how the president has been handling a number of domestic and international issues. So let's start with your assessment about how Biden has performed in his first three years in office. There's a there's a lot of uh, to unpack there. The first is about how Biden performed in 2020, perhaps with the support of African-American voters, among others. And then there's also questions about whether that support will be present for 2024. And then lastly, I think uh, about what the current domestic situation and international situation. This is, I assume, a reference to the Ukraine-Russia conflict and the Hamas-Israeli uh, conflict. Those are the most prominent at the moment. Yes. And how they might reflect on the president's uh, perceived performance and likely outcome in the election. So I'll just take each of those in turn, I think. The first, with respect to the, the uh, level of support that the Biden campaign generated from the black community. Uh, it was certain. It was certainly the case that he received lopsided support among African Americans. Some some polls suggest that he got about ninety percent of the black vote, uh, and that is of course uh, a, an outlier compared to how any other uh, significant socio demographic group votes for any uh, party or candidate. Uh, the level of support that the black community uh, provided to Joe Biden is is frankly unprecedented in terms of the comparison with other social groups. But it is emphatically not unprecedented if you think about black support for Democratic candidates uh, at least for the last 60 years or so. Uh, in short, black voters have given somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 95 percent of their support to Democratic candidates uh, since the 1964 presidential contest. So in that regard, Biden did about as well as we would expect any Democrat to do. Um, and indeed, he did get a, a huge turnout among blacks as well, but turnout was up for every group in 2020. Uh, so that's more or less what we would, would expect. Uh, moving on to the second part of the three-part question, which is uh, what is likely to be Biden's level of support from this constituency in 2024 well, it's always hard to predict the future, but our best metric for predicting the future would be the past. And as I've just indicated, African-Americans have been the most uh, easily and without um, really any peer, the most uh, loyal Democratic constituency for the last 60 plus years. Consequently, uh, barring a catastrophe, my expectation is that African-Americans are going to continue to be that loyal constituency in 2024, meaning that they'll provide somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to 95 percent support for the Democratic candidate. The real question is about turnout. 
are they likely to turn out at the same level as 2020? I mean, 2020, we were all, of course, as we can all remember, uh, we were all hunkered down in the shutdown. We were in the aftermath of the protests involving the, um, the torture and murder of George Floyd. And so it was an unusual time. There was a lot of, um, you know, mail-in voting, some of which has been curtailed in a number of states. So it's hard to know if turnout will be as elevated in 2024 as it was in 2020, either for the black community or any other constituency. That remains to be seen. It may be difficult to replicate that. Um, and it's also worth noting, it's fair to say that the, there is some, there is some, I don't know if I call it buyer's remorse, but there is a certainly diminished enthusiasm for the Biden candidacy among many Democratic constituencies, including African-Americans. That, that diminished enthusiasm, as I've indicated, is unlikely to manifest in a groundswell of support for the Republican candidate, but it could manifest in lower levels of turnout. That's possible. Uh, and to some degree, this applies in, in lesser fashion to other racialized minorities. All uh, for the last 25 or so years, um, all racial minority groups have aligned themselves with the Democratic Party. None of them to the same degree as African-Americans, but but most of them in levels uh, that we can des can describe as like a two to one margin. Uh, that's probably going to be the same in 2024. There's some there is some inkling of an indication that Hispanic voters are moving uh, not so much toward the Republican Party, but they're less enthusiastic for the Democratic Party. Whether that is a blip, whether or not they will continue in 2024 is an open question. And then finally, how are contemporary issues, domestic and international, likely to influence the Biden um, candidacy in 2024? That's a somewhat of a mixed bag. So on the one hand, we have legitimate concerns about the economy, legitimate in the sense that there, at least until recently, was a spike, a non-trivial spike in inflation that can really bite hard on working class Americans. Uh, but on the other hand, there's been uh, really sub substantially uh, low levels of unemployment for a sustained period of time. Indeed, cutting to the chase, by most metrics, the economy is about as good now as it's ever been. So it's hard to, and particularly given how much of a, a crater the economy uh, fell into in the uh, shut during the shutdown. So uh, it's hard to argue on objective terms that the economy is not doing very well. Certainly, economists would say that, and uh, the real kind of perplexing notion is that many Americans don't seem to think that it's doing well. So this is the mixed bag part. Is the economy doing well? Objectively, apparently, yes. Do Americans think that the economy is doing well? Subjectively, uh, they appear not to. Uh, but are Americans buying things as if they believe the economy is doing well? That actually appears to be true. <laughs> so they're behaving in one way. They're expressing their opinions in surveys on another, in another way. Uh, so it's hard to know domestically how that's going to translate in 2024. If, if this were a normal year, and again, the theme of my comments throughout the broadcast is that this will not be a normal job, a, a normal election season. 
But if it were, we would say the incumbent should be in pretty good shape because the economy is doing well. Unemployment is low. Inflation is down. Uh, there are still non-trivial issues that Americans are facing domestically in terms of housing shortage, housing insecurity, the uh, student loan debt, et cetera. These are, things are not rosy on every dimension, but on most of the major dimensions, they look better than they usually do. Yeah. Now, internationally, uh, the conflict, particularly in the case of the Israeli-Hamas uh, conflict, um, that is something that is somewhat uh, troubling and, and potentially divisive for the Democratic constituency because it is it is pitting uh, elements of that constituency against one another. So just to clarify that point, the uh, Jewish community, as is true for many non-white uh, Americans, is, uh, is a very loyal uh, element within the Democratic Party and has been for decades. Somewhere around 70 to 75 percent of Jewish Americans tend to vote uh, Democratic. Uh, and so the president's strong support for Israel in the midst of this ongoing conflict is probably a boon for that part of the constituency. But it's also true that many uh, Arab Americans, many Muslim Americans, and many uh, other people of color uh, who view the Palestinian conflict, the Palestinian plight, uh, with, a, with a very sympathetic eye— um, and consequently, they are more inclined in some cases uh, to express sympathy with respect to the, the Palestinian uh, uh, community as opposed to the Israeli uh, community. That's not globally true. That's not always true. But it's maybe more true for uh, people of color than it would be for other Americans. And so what you have is a division that is emerging in the, in, excuse me, in the Democratic coalition uh, over the issue of Israel and the Palestinians, uh, and there is, and the the White House is is coming down clearly in favor of the Israeli camp. Uh, that is causing some some concern among other elements within the Democratic constituency, which I've already described as extremely loyal. So, with all of that, um, one of the things that I really found interesting, uh, particularly when uh, Biden had indicated that he was going to seek re-election was that the only reason he's running is to keep Trump from becoming president. And I raise that because I would think that because of his age, a better strategy might have been if Biden and the Democratic Party could have positioned another candidate, maybe perhaps uh, Vice President Harris, to be the presidential nominee just kind of give me your thoughts about that, where he's going to try to run for another four years, because sometimes in these discussions about uh, candidates, age is a factor. So just talk a little bit about uh, Biden and his comments regarding why he's going to be seeking another term. Yes, I, I believe you're referring to comments that I think were made at a fundraising event that may have been captured by a live mic, uh, where the president indicated that were uh, his, the former president not running for re-election, he, he himself, Biden, might not be seeking re-election. Obviously, this takes place in the context of the uh, current president being the oldest president in American history. Understandably, a lot of Americans have some concerns about the age issue, as we can euphemistically call it. I should hasten to add that there's no obvious evidence that 
President Biden is somehow not up to the job, at least in any kind of physical or cognitive sense. But it's not obvious that it's impairing his his uh, mental faculties are somehow impaired. It's also worth noting that his chief rival in the Republican Party uh, is uh, in his late 70s. Joe Biden was elected president in 2020. He was the oldest president, as I've said, in American history. But when Donald Trump was elected in 2016, he was the oldest president. One may well find President Biden to be disqualified because of his age. But if that's the case, then his chief rival is only three or so years younger than he is. Thank you for sharing your insights. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And thank you all for listening to this Michigan Minds episode. Stay tuned for future podcasts from Michigan News.